Today is Sunday, August 15th, 2021, and this is episode 258 of Defensive Security Podcast. My name is Jerry Bell, and joining me tonight, as always, is Mr. Andrew Callett. Good evening, Jerry. How are you, sir? So good, it hurts. How are you? I'm good. I uh, I mean, it's not, it's not a secret, but uh, probably by about the time this publishes, well, it depends on if we get it out today. Uh, tomorrow is my last day at my current employer. I'm... I'm Moving on to new exciting pastures. Congratulations. Yeah. So um, I haven't publicized it too much yet because, you know, respect to my current employer, but working on my two weeks and then uh, start my new job at the end of the month. And uh, so kind of kind of excited about that. Awesome. Awesome. And as always, for those who are concerned, I don't talk about my current employee situation or previous employee situations in any specific detail, you know, because ethics. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, but uh, yeah, so that's good. I guess it's I a little probably a little late to say that the thoughts and opinions we express are ours and not uh, those of our current or future or former employers. Right. Yeah. All right. Um, so, uh, also thank you to our Patreon donors. Appreciate you. Absolutely, you guys are awesome. Uh, most uh, much apologies for missing the past two weeks. I had um, unavoidable. Uh, personal conflicts, uh, primarily, by the way, moving both of my kids into their respective uh, colleges. So, you're an empty nester. I am officially an empty nester. Is it like spooky quiet at your house? Do you hear ghosts running around now? No, I have a have an have an old cat and a uh, and a dog, so it's actually quite noisy still. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, but uh, that that's got to be weird though. After all these years, to have them both gone. It definitely is. Uh, but, you know, they, they call anytime they want money, so it's all good. <laughs> <sighs> True enough. All right. Uh, so jumping into some stories. First one comes from Ars Technica. The title is Software Downloaded 30,000 Times from PyPL Ransacked Developers Machines. Holy cow. I guess it's, it's not PyPL. It's PyPy, isn't it? You know, pie, pie, pie. I, I'm afraid to even try to pronounce it because... Pie pie. Sure. We'll go with that. That sounds right. Anyway, um, this is a kind of a fascinating emerging threat vector in, in, the, in the cyber world these days. And I say cyber specifically to anger some people um, because I think that's fun. Including me. Including you. That's right. I can watch you get angry at me on the video here. Uh, so in this particular case, there were, I think six different packages identified in, in this ecosystem that had a total of three or four different, um, malicious additions to them. Uh, but you know, the, I think these specific issues have since been, re, uh, been addressed, but as a category of problem, they are becoming more common. We've seen a, uh, uh, quite a number of different high-profile issues. Most recently, there was a 
problem with CodeCov. Um, I, you know, we saw the issue with SolarWinds. Not saying that those were necessarily the results of additions through open source, but you know, the the net point is that uh, you know, as time moves on, lots of uh, lots of organizations are kind of adopting um, much more of a a development mindset. And a lot, a big component of that, by the way, is often relying pretty heavily on open source. And there's, I, I think, a lot of legacy baggage around um, open source hygiene. I mean, we, we've, we've, as an industry, we've kind of had this un, you know, untested assumption that open source is uh, is good quality, and you know, there's the the kind of the long-standing uh, premise of many eyes makes uh, bugs very shallow, right? But here we are. We've had a few of these. Wasn't there a big SSL library that had a massive issue for nine years or yeah, something? It was, uh, it was heart was heartbleed. Yeah. Yeah. Heart, and this heartbleed. is a this is a really tough problem to solve because people are going to grab these packages and reuse them. That's what they're there for. That's sort of like part of the philosophy of building other people's work and sharing the work. And it's so easy to obfuscate something malicious into submitted code, uh, especially when it's a component of a bigger system. I, I don't know an easy solve on this one. Yeah. They, they point out, by the way, one of the, you know, what, one of the issues in one of the packages here, it actually um, would reach out to a external site and download some, uh, some code from a third, you know, from a, from an external site that would, it would then run. So even if you were necessarily looking for malicious stuff, you might not actually see it. If you're just simply looking at doing like a static analysis of the code on your system, unless you were specifically looking for things that did, you know, that very thing. Um, and it, there's plenty of ways to obfuscate that with like time yeah, delay yeah. and, you know, so it's, um, th- this is a, if you read the comments in this in this article, you know there, there's a I think a lot of hand wringing. You know, this is a difficult problem to solve, and you know a lot of organizations, you know, are I mean they're relying on open source as kind of a force multiplier to you know be be agile and nimble and and whatnot, and now you know this kind of threat is a uh, uh, you know this this kind of threat vector is, is putting that um, in that context in or that concept in, in, uh, in jeopardy, maybe not jeopardy, right. But it's, it's going to necessarily add some, um, some overhead depending on how we yeah. solve it. Yeah. I mean, it be, it becomes an issue of how widespread does this become or is it an edge case? You know, uh, I mean, the only thing I can think of is, you know, we have this concept of like whitelisting applications so that non approved applications can't run. I wonder if we need to get to a level of sort of whitelisting routines and behavior of subcomponents so they can't do things other than what we allow them to do. In other words, you know, I'm downloading this to be a random number generator, but it also has this backdoor, but I'm only allowing it to run as a random number generator. I don't even know if that's viable, but I, I don't know I don't know much other way you could stop this other than just treating everything as incredibly suspicious and just monitoring the heck out of any sort of odd behavior, but that is so labor intensive. I don't know. That's a tough one. That yeah, is a tough one. I, I, 
I raise this without having a good answer. I mean, <laughs> I think we're well. I think we're 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 at we're at kind of the the bleeding edge here, and I'm sure there's plenty of vendors who will tell you that they have the they have the solution, but I I remain skeptical. Yeah, and I don't think it's viable to say just don't use it code repositories. I mean, people, I mean, they're going to use it. They need to use it, and they're not going to be able to audit it. I mean, it's so easy to obfuscate. I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, the only thing I, could, I can come up with is you're know, trying to come up with some kind of a risk scoring and um, and applying applying kind of graduated inspection of different pieces of code based on risk, and that might be based on how many people use it or or, or different different parameters. There was a the the U.S. government re- recently released an executive order around. Uh, yes, security, and it somewhat touches into this area. Uh, it was it was the result of the the big solar winds breach, and you know we've seen other we we've seen other uh, issues too. Which I would say this is like a a the, the problem here is part of a broader category of these supply chain attacks where uh, the the adversaries are going after development that you know they're, they're actually attacking the development uh, ecosystem rather than trying to break in through the you know the front door of the network of their intended victims they're coming in through the development channels whether that's with Microsoft and in, in their exchange issues or solar winds or uh, codecov and so on you know it's they're finding it easier to attack those and and by the way it's a little more economical because you know you, you if you can get in once you can actually cr- potentially create a, um, a a lot of impact you can you can go after lots of different targets with uh, with one campaign so yeah i, I think this is a tough one i think yeah <laughs> It's so difficult. We're going to move on to the next story, which is uh, also from Ars Technica, and the title is Feds List the Top 30 Most Exploited Vulnerabilities Many Are Years Old. So the uh, the uh, government agencies from a couple different countries, US, UK, Australia, uh, put out a joint advisory uh, encouraging organizations to go patch kind of this... this uh, relatively short list of vulnerabilities that they see being commonly atta- or commonly used in uh, in attacks, more sophisticated attacks. And it's disappointing because a lot of these are actually fairly old or several years old. Uh, but they, they range uh, from things like Pulse Secure. By the way, if you're using Pulse Secure, you know, maybe think about something else. I don't know. Um, <laughs> It's an incredibly popular VPN it's, tool. It's really, really popular, but holy cow, does it just it's like a, a freight train of vulnerabilities. So it, you know, the other thing about that is we often talk about isolating things from the internet. That's meant to be public facing. <laughs> like by design. Yeah. But that's but that's the problem, right? And so if you're gonna if you're gonna use it like you you need to be hyper aware of, of um you know what version you're on and 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 whatnot. So not saying it's not a good pro- not saying it's not a good product. I'm saying that like it has had a a problematic history. Do you think some of these are a lack of asset management? 
or just lack of awareness or lack of just caring a bit of a bit of all of the above i think um i i think that some things like the pulse secure i'm just looking at the list like you know citrix uh, pulse secure fortinet f5 are typically impacting devices that are often put into the environment and not patched. Like, you know, we, a lot of organizations have very robust patching around things like windows and well, often because that tools are built in, but yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so they, sometimes they don't have it around, um, you know, the network more than networky devices. And there's different reasons for that. You know, like if you reboot a server, you know, a lot of times you can have failover, but if you reboot a network, if you didn't design your network right, if you, sorry, if you reboot a network device, if you didn't, didn't design your network right, you could cause an outage. So right. I think there's some of that. Uh, Drupal is another one. And Drupal, I think, is one of the ones that would fall into that asset management problem. You know, like that's the kind of thing yeah. that somebody sets up on on a on a web server and nobody really knows that it's that it's actually there. It's It's not its own piece of infrastructure same with atlassian um it's interesting they they, they call it net login separately from microsoft but um anyway it, it's a it, it's an interesting list to take a look at because this you know this, these agencies are pointing out this is the list of vulnerabilities that they see commonly being targeted not that other things aren't also being targeted but like you should be put applying a lot of focus in your environments, if you have these, you know, really consider getting them. Yeah. Uh, Low-hanging fruit that'll stop a lot of attacks. Exactly. Currently seen. And yeah, it's, it's, these are, a lot of these are old. 2019, 2018, a couple from 2020, 2017. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's not good. Get on it. All right. Uh, next story comes from uh, securitywake.com. The title is, Hospital network reveals cause of 2020 cyber attack. So the University of Virginia Medical Center was the subject of a um, of an attack at the end of 2020, and uh, you know at the time wasn't a lot of clarity exactly how it happened. But now that now some additional details came out, which I thought were quite interesting, um, partly in, in, particularly in, in COVID times. Uh, what happened was a an employee, and I, I have to assume, I don't have this detail, but I'm totally speculating here. I have to assume it was somebody in an IT type role uh, was disconnected from their network at home, I don't know, on vacation maybe, and checked personal email on their their um, their work laptop. And uh, and apparently one of the emails had a you know malicious attachment or linked to some something that anyway ended up getting uh, that device compromised and it just kind of was compromised until they plugged it in uh, to their company network after their vacation was over and then uh, you know they, the attack propagated into the network anyway that you know the um, uh, UVM indicated that they actually don't permit access to uh, personal email if you're connect while you're connected to their network, but they hadn't prevented that when you're disconnected. 
Yeah, because it probably is going through a web proxy when you're on the VPN. Exactly. And, they, and it's not when you're off the VPN unless you've configured that. And so once you know you, you get compromised while you're not not connected to the network, then you do. So this is you know this is one of the one of the reasons you see some organizations have kind of this forced VPN concept where as soon as you come on the network, you know before you're able to do anything, it has to establish a, a, a VPN connection back to the mothership. And all of your internet traffic is routed um, you know, through the through the organization with its, um, you know, screening and filtering applied. Yeah, and what's kind of happening there is it's, you know, the cloud is evolving that with this concept called SASE, S-A-S-E, where you kind of take that concept of that data center and all the security controls and you push it to the cloud. Mm-hmm. At, you know, on somebody else's infrastructure, and they have got an always-on VPN now to the SASE agent uh, connecting to this vendor's cloud. And, it, you know, a couple different vendors are doing this, but then they apply proxy, malware, sandboxing, firewalling, all that kind of stuff, uh, regardless. Like, you have to go through that first, whether you're connected or not. You know, the other thing I was thinking about this story is the concept of whether or not you're permitting somebody on a company asset to access things like personal email. And, you know, it seems like a no-brainer for a lot of folks hearing this story. Well, just block it. But I actually think that's a bit of a tougher call than it might seem at first. Um, certainly more tightly regulated and controlled places would, would block this. But there's a cultural battle around that. Like how tightly locked down is a company asset? Uh, and, you know, kind of like you see current battles about working from home and that sort of thing. There's this concept for a lot of employees and, you know, some of the more desirable organizations to be not that locked down on their personal laptop. They don't want to not have local admin rights. They want to not, you know, and they want to be able to access whatever they want to access. Uh, and it becomes a cultural battle, you know, of, of, and, and do you keep your talent happy by letting them do these things, but they assume more risk. And that's a tough call, I think. Um, that you know probably needs to be discussed at a very senior level because it it's a philosophical debate that I think does impact the type of employees who want to work in your environment. It was certainly certainly true, but I you know I, I think there's there's got to be other accommodations for that. You know, like I I I don't know that that, that these are mutually exclusive goals. You know, one of the one of the things I had looked at at one point, although I, you know at the time it was was prohibitively expensive, but I, I suspect that things have changed now. You know, it, it, there is, by the way, a a practical need in many organizations to allow people to do you know things that they need to do, like um, right. know, personal browsing or personal email, whatever. Um, but there's there's potentially safer ways to do it than just say, okay, fine. Well, I'm also curious what their endpoint security software was and how this blew past that, which is, you know, not that big a deal. Or I shouldn't say not that hard, but I'm curious what it was. Yeah, that's, um, that's hard to say. I mean, there's no indication of, of, you know, what it was, uh, you know, a, a reasonable endpoint protection system would have, seen that there were, you know, the system was compromised, even if it wasn't, you know, connected to the network. I mean, if you believe their marketing, sure. (laughs) True. True. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, 
By the way, there's no indication that this was like some sophisticated targeted attack. It looks like this was kind of a more of a targeted opportunity or target of opportunity. like the, Just a broad-based the, fish. Yeah, method. it was just yeah. like commodity, you know, commodity dis- distributed malware that, that they got, the adversary got lucky here. But, you know, there's the, back to what I was saying, there's, there's options. Like you can run a, you know, run a un, unprivileged VM on, on a system that lets people do what they want to do or, or a VDI up in the cloud or, but there's, there's, depends on what you're trying to accomplish, what your, what your budget is, uh, what your risk tolerance is. There's lots of, um, lots of possibilities, but you know, for, it's almost like you're foreshadowing a story we have coming up. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So, um, that's, that is premier podcasting talent right there. Let me tell you. Absolutely. You're worth every dollar the sponsors pay you. <laughs> All right. So uh, with that segue in mind, uh, we'll move to the next story, which is from CSO Online. And the title is Recent Shadow IT Related Incidents Present Lessons to CISOs. So um, obviously shadow IT is no... Nothing new, right? I mean, we've been talking about this, I think, since the show started, and and it's been a problem for for even longer. This is this is something that I think is becoming an accelerated problem in in uh, many organizations because IT is becoming much more commoditized and much more easy to consume outside the context of a company. I mean, like there's. Um, there's just so many different easy to use services. Um, I mean, from things as simple as online PDF converters, like that you might not even think about as like shadow IT, right? But, you know, think about that. Like somebody goes and they take a sensitive company document and they upload it to a PDF conversion website. Well, guess what? That document is not yours anymore <laughs> every SaaS vendor could be shadow it yeah every SaaS vendor you, you know all of the file sharing services um all of the you know i mean you said that like SaaS is very covers lots of areas but i mean you know all all of the different sales tools um hr tools i mean there's just a uh, damn near infinite array of things that fall into this bucket and if you know the, the one of the the common points that this article raises is that you know kind of like was stated in jurassic park you know nature will find a way employees will find a way to get their job done if they're being compensated measured on it they're gonna and, and you've got a roadblock in their way we've talked about this so many times over the years most employees i wouldn't say all but i would say most employees will find a way and their leadership will allow them. Yeah. Because they've got to get their job done. This is where I I really think that a CISO and a CIO need to come together, right? Because this is not solely a CISO or, you know, security tower kind of a problem. Like this problem arises because the company isn't providing the tools its employees need but then, you know, on the other side, it's maybe not making the rules of the road as explicitly clear as, as possible either. So there's kind of a, a, you know, two sides of the story. But 
I, I, I really think a lot, in, at least in my experience, this manifests itself in most instances because the company or organization isn't providing the tools the employees need to do the jobs. Yeah, I would agree. And they're not anticipating the needs. I mean, sometimes things change rap- very rapidly. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of very easy to use tools out there that solve the problem. And, you know, to, to most employee employees' eyes, they don't see anything wrong with that, especially if they've got their own budget and they've got a credit card. They're just solving problems and getting stuff done and knocking it out. What they don't understand, and it's really not their problem to understand, is what sort of risk that might be incurring to the company. Right. And, you know, the advice in the article is pretty good. You know, they talk about how you counter this as being the go-to for solutions, not being the department of no, be willing to, you know, partner with folks and, and find ways to, to solve their problems quickly. The problem I see with that advice or the, the danger with that advice is that you've got to have really smart staff with the time to quickly handle these types of requests and the autonomy to do it. You know, and understand where the guidance that needs to be pre-established is. If, if, if they're opening a ticket and waiting two weeks for security to review something to get back to them, that's not going to work. You're not going to solve this problem. You've got to have really sharp people with enough free cycles that they can engage deeply to understand the business requirements, what they're trying to do, how they're trying to do it, why they're trying to do it, and help design a secure solution rapidly. Mm-hmm. And not a lot of IT organizations have that capability or IT security organizations. So, you know, and, you know, businesses are moving very, very fast. And if anything, they're getting much faster. So it's a tough problem. Um, The other thing I have in my notes here that I found interesting is there's a number of vendors out there that, let's say you've got a web proxy set up. They'll scrub your web proxy logs to see what SaaS services are being uh, consumed by your employees. Mm Mm-hmm. And that can be very illuminating, uh, you know, and find out. But, you know, then again, ultimately, I think it's up to the security teams to understand it, detect it, figure out what's going on, what potential risks are out there, if there's ways to to mitigate those risks without destroying the usefulness. Um, But really, it's it's, it's probably up to leadership, right? They, They need to understand the risks being incurred by shadow IT, whatever it is. And decide if it's worth the productivity or not. Uh, we we can't, you know, we if we as security guys just try to shut it down, we would not be there long. You know, this is this this I think this horse has left the barn. Now we're just trying to play catch up. That's certainly true. Um, and and I don't I don't think there's any objectively right answer that is universally true for all companies or all organizations. Yeah, you know, it's it's going to be quite situational based on, you know, what what the what the organization values and what kind of risk profile they have and and so on. But it it is um, it is something that is accelerating away from us, and um, I, I I do think we have to take deliberate actions to get this under control. It also adds a lot of complexity that is the enemy of security in many ways. Indeed. All right. So um, moving on to our next story, which comes from the National Law Review, which is not a common source of stories for us. This story is right up your alley, though. It definitely is. Uh, So 
title here is Another Court Order product, uh, Orders Production of Cybersecurity Firms Forensic Report and Data Breach Case. Uh, so we, we've talked about, gosh, it's probably been a year or more ago, after, in the wake of the, um, the Capital One breach, uh, Capital One was, was ordered to produce a forensic report that was, um, you know, nobody had really ever seen that before. Um, you know, obviously many organizations in the wake of a, of a breach, they hire, a, you know, a Mandiant style company to come out and do a, an investigation. And that typically results in a report. And most of the time that report is considered to be, uh, you know, covered by legal privilege. In the case of, of a capital one, the, the court disagreed with that and ordered, the report to be uh, turned over and there was lots of, uh, you know, lots of, of hoopla that resulted from that. This is another instance of a similar type of thing. Uh, the company name here is Rudders uh, and they were, uh, they were breached some time ago and hired a, th- you know, third party company to come out and do a, a, a investigation and that resulted in a report in uh, in a lawsuit against uh, the company as a result of the breach, the uh, the plaintiffs, you know, did did everybody did the normal discovery dance, and Rudders did not turn over this report because they considered it to be covered by legal privilege. Well, the court rejected that, and they rejected it for a couple of specific reasons, and it starts to get kind of. Uh, down into the legal technicalities that basically this report was not created as a you know as as part of uh, preparing for a lawsuit right it was created or was was uh, performed for other purposes the the you know the uh, uh, forensic company was hired you know as a result of the breach not as a not in preparation for the lawsuit which is you know, the, the things that are typically covered by legal privilege are, you know, uh, guidance and, and counsel from from your attorneys, not things that are kind of statements of fact about a particular thing. And so that was basically what the court court found. And I will say this is a pretty big deal uh, for a lot of organizations. We've now seen two data points, and I dare say we're going to continue to see this happening. You know, we, now that we've seen it twice, I, I bet you we're going to see it happening over and over again. Now it's, they do actually give some practical advice on, on how to mitigate this because I mean, look for, for right, wrong or indifferent, there are practical reasons why you, uh, you know, why a, such a report should be protected by legal privilege. Not in all cases, by the way. That's Jerry's. That's Jerry's. Um, you know, opinion. I'm not a lawyer. Don't even play one on TV. So there, there are recommendations, of, you know, for uh, ensuring that such a report is protected by legal privilege. And it, by the way, this is going to be controversial, and it will probably um, reduce the utility of the report. Um, but again, you know, the, the context of legal privilege is intended to cover a very specific kind of thing, not like to be, 
protecting just general stuff that you don't want Europe, you know, what you want somebody else to see. That's not the intention of legal privilege. Yeah, because weren't some companies when a breach happened having their lawyer go out and hire the the breach response team? Yeah, well, that's what, to... so, so that's what this is. So if you, yeah. if you go through their recommended steps, uh, number one is retain outside counsel and consult with litigation counsel immediately after an incident occurs. Don't retain an outside vendor directly, but do so through outside counsel. So basically, the... the the kind of the premise here is, and and I, I will say one thing I, I I should have said at the outset, this is really very U.S. centric, right? I there's I know there's people listening to the show from all over the world. I you know I I think that many other jurisdictions that are around the world have the context of legal privilege with similar kinds of intentions and constructs. So, and and that concept being that communication between you and our lawyer are confidential correct i mean it, it, at, at its core right if you know you you are in legal trouble and you hire a lawyer that lawyer is giving you advice right and you don't want the con you know you don't want the the content of that advice to be part of what's on display in the court and so that's how this concept of legal privilege, at least in, in part how this concept of legal privilege comes to be so, you know, that's uh, it, it's a reasonable thing, and I again, I think most, maybe maybe not most, but many comp- or many uh, countries do have a similar kind of concept. But there's going to be differences. So, yeah, take it for take it for what it is. So anyway, um, so yeah, don't don't engage a, an investigator, a third party. Uh, forensic company directly do it through your outside counsel uh, ensure that the vendor sends the final report only to outside counsel which is you know interesting because as i said doing this in a way that shields your report from disclosure law or just you know the, the discovery uh, process is going to necessarily make it less i think less useful to the organization so um hire different vendors or at a minimum ensure that they're vastly different they have a vastly different agreement and scope of services specifically tailored to the report don't include the report in the scope of services before the incident right so you know that what that was one of the the comments of the judge was that you know the this organization had a pre-existing agreement with their forensic provider to provide a report in, in the, in, in the uh, event of an incident. And so how could, you know, how could the company assert that the report was the result of the lawsuit when the lawsuit hadn't happened yet? That, that's kind of part of what they're saying. Um, don't share the report with, uh, with anyone except for legal purposes, uh, clearly differentiate between vendors, routine services, litigation-related services. You know, one of the things I was, as I was reading this, by the way, it occurred to me that I, I'm I'm surprised that we don't see incident response companies like, let's say, Mandiant or um, you know th- their likes and law firms. You know, um, kind of be becoming a one-stop shop well it's it's interesting to me how much like it security advice can be looked at or or overlaps with the concept of legal advice absolutely 
You know, in my mind, at least, you can boil it down to, hey, it's our job to advise what to do if you a certain take outcome it is desired. It, right. right. Yeah. Uh, very similar to a, a lawyer. Like, yeah, you probably shouldn't stab that guy on, on camera. That would be bad for you. Right. You know. Yes. Yes. But you could still go stab the guy on camera. I don't know. That's probably a bad example, but you know what I mean? It's just, I obviously it security or cyber is so new that in, in the legal profession is ancient. So, you know, I don't know if these will ever be codified into laws, but it seems to me very similar. Uh, so let's see, uh, don't share the report or sorry, share the report with as few people as necessary. If a report is, is also necessary for internal business accounting or regulatory purposes, have a separate sanitized report prepared the report and the related work must be a legal expense paid for by the company's legal budget, preferably through outside counsel. That was also one of the observations of the uh, the judge. Let, let me just restate, we're not giving legal advice. Yeah, we're I'm, not just, qualified. I'm, I'm reading this, uh, this document. Please uh, don't sue us. A document anticipated or potential threat of litigation early on and take time to carefully select and prepare your... 30 BC witness for the deposition, whatever the heck that means. There you go. Well, it was a national law review, so it's meant for lawyers. That's right. That's right. Which we are not. Which we are, we are definitely not. But, you know, again, don't assume that, you know, you engaging a, a, a third party forensics company that the report is going to be covered by legal privilege unless you take deliberate action. That's that's the whole point of this. Talk to your attorneys. Don't assume. This is why you're fun at parties. I totally am. All right. Um, so, final story. This one comes from secureworld.io and the title is Suing the CISO, Solar Winds Fires Back. So, um, we've obviously talked about solar winds ad nauseum, uh, some solar winds investors have sued solar winds, uh, the company and as well as their CEO and their CISO. Now, basically I'm summarizing, basically alleging, uh, what I would loosely call malpractice and, um, you know, ba- you know, basically saying that, that, uh, in, in a couple of different points, you know, that, that the company didn't do the right, you know, didn't uh, exhibit responsible security uh, you know, oversight. And so they, they used some specific examples from former employees, you know, one of which uh, was a, um, you know, a strategist and had complained that they, that the company wasn't doing, you know, enough in, in a, couple of particulars with security. There was also the very public issue with the, uh, the solar winds one, two, three password uh, that's referenced in here. And so, you know, point is that it's, I find it interesting that you know, this is a, that, you know, this is an example where uh, it's not just the company that is being sued. It's also in this, you know, in this case, it's the leadership of the company. And, you know, it look. It is hard enough to be a CISO. I think this is this is really if if this becomes common practice, I I fear what we're going to see. On but on the other hand, on the you know, that's that's 
one side. On the other side, I think it will quite likely drive different kinds of behavior in, in, in as much of you know, being much more conservative, being much more aggressive and, and, um, or at least documenting your recommendations and decisions by leadership to ignore them. Yeah. To insulate yourself. Correct. Yeah. But even then I, I worry about, you know, he, he, even if you, even if you document that, are you still complicit? Like the fact that you're still there, do you still remain complicit in, in, well, in their eyes? I mean, I've, let's uh, we'll go back to a lawyer, right? I mean, your lawyer could certainly fire you as a as a customer or a client, but a lot of times they don't, and they're not complicit in their, you know, their customer or client's behavior. So, I, I mean, a CISO, and this is the tough part, right? I, I don't like this, I, I and I'll go on record, because a CISO is not as in charge as a lot of people think they are. Now, in this case, you could show some negligence for things like that password, that sort of thing, maybe. I mean, you'd have to prove that the CISO had the authority to affect that password policy and chose not to, right? As opposed to the admin team that doesn't report up to the CISO. I mean, there's just a lot of nuance here of where the, the politics and the authority and the accountability fall within the organization. Or does this drive a CISO demanding that authority and autonomy because now their butt's on the line? Well, that, it's exactly my, that was exactly where I was going. That and I, then how know, does that fight play out? Exactly. So, so if you if we're establishing certain accountabilities, legal accountabilities, for for a CISO, that would say that you know they they then have to have certain um, authorities, like they have to they have to be able to do certain things. And um, I, I'm not sure that all organizations are are there. I mean, I don't know. This is going to be an interesting one to play out because obviously right now it's just a lawsuit. I mean, you can sue anybody for yeah, just about right. anything, right? But it might get thrown out. They might yes. say you don't have so, whatever the term is going to be for you can't sue that person. Right. So, so Who knows? SolarWinds has already asked for it to be thrown out saying it's basically ridiculous. And, you know, they, they kind of go through SolarWinds, goes through a kind of a point-by-point point refutation and saying like, the SolarWinds123 password, while, yes, that did, was a thing, did you, didn't contribute did, to the breach. Did you just use the term refutation? Maybe. Wow. That's fancy. I know. They refuted it in a refutation. <laughs> I'm impressed. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see, right? I, I, hmm. It's a tough one. It's a tough one for me. I, you know, also keep in mind that this was a malicious actor. This wasn't like, you know, so we're pairing now a malicious actor taking advantage of potential negligence, yeah, not just the yeah, negligence like, itself. It, exactly. Wait, where, where is the line of enough? Right. So let's say, let's just hypothesize for a second. We say, okay, yep. They didn't do enough. SolarWinds didn't do enough. I'm not saying that that is the case, but let's just hypothesize. Like, so yeah, you know, there there is there are allegations that the adversary here was super sophisticated. You know, there's there's the often cited thing, and it's actually in this article too about how there were a thousand attackers as part of the group that that went after SolarWinds. I don't know if that's true or not, but let's just for the sake of argument say it is. So. Where is the line at which SolarWinds would have had to be in order for 
them to you know be reasonable let's so so let's assume that no matter what solar winds did they were going to get compromised because the adversary was just so freaking sophisticated that nothing they could have done nothing solar winds could have done would have avoided where's the line like what is enough well just go out of business that's that's your way to not be breached just don't be a business <laughs> no you're completely right and i don't know and, and i don't know if i want to judge deciding that either yeah, I, 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 I don't, I don't know. I, I, I fear that over time, we're going to have to create. I don't know if it's going to be law or case law, but there's going to need to be some kind of standards because this is. You mean again? You know, I, I don't know, you know where this where case is going to go, but this you know is kind of crazy. Come from? It's going to come from the from the breach insurance industry. They're going to establish best practices. It has to come from somewhere. Because right now, right now there is no, be, there's no safe harbor. Like, nothing, but they're still going to be too vague. They're going to. Well, you're such right. A you're technical, right. Speci- I mean, you're there's right. so many technical nuances that it, ugh, it's a mess. Yeah, it's like the like the GDPR. You know, you just have to have state of the art security controls. Why what, did I get into this? What is, what is that? Jerry, mean? you're depressing me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go drink. <laughs> what you've done. What. So, but, but, uh, you know, this is why I think um, it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough area, right? Um, And, and as soon as we were to establish, you know, unless it's so vague as to be worthless, as soon as we establish a set of best practices, they're almost going to like definitionally be out of date because technology moves so fast. So, right. Um, it, it, gosh, I, I don't, I don't know. I think we should just watch this one and see what happens. Um, it certainly won't be the last one of these. No, no, I just, I can't think of another instance where a CISO has been specifically sued. Um, not that it hasn't happened, but I can't, I, I'm none, none are well, coming to mind. Well, you're a CISO. I give you till next Tuesday. <laughs> Damn, man. <laughs> I might sue you myself just for fun. It it is um it, it is a little concerning. Um Yeah, I imagine. I, I, I wouldn't want to be a CISO if this were to happen. Uh you know Or or you've got to, you know, somehow companies are gonna have to I think the term is indemnify their CISOs in some way. Some sort of corporate veil around them in some legal yeah, but, e- but even indemnifications, again, I'm like I'm speaking totally out of my lane here, but even indemnifications typically don't cover, you know, like gross negligence. And then you get back to the point of where is the line of gross negligence? Yeah. Well, I then you go to can the CISO say, hey, the corporate insurance policy will cover any payout? I don't know. Wow, I don't know. <laughs> I I it's hate this. One. I hate it. <laughs> and I'm not legally smart enough to know all the ins and outs of this one, other than just it's ugly. I I don't I don't know either. Um, Let's just go. We need to find that. We need to find a lawyer to uh, to come in here and and we don't do guests. No, that's true. We don't. As as every day, my email evidences the PR people think we do, but we don't do guests. Oh, they do absolutely. So if you if you ever send us an email, we don't respond. It's because it got like hidden in the dumpster fire that is all of the PR people wanting to put their uh, 
their CEO on. Uh-huh. Yeah. Anyway, so that with that happy note. <laughs> happy Sunday. <laughs> happy Sunday, everyone. I uh, know. Look, you know, this is um, this is why we make the big bucks, right? This is why security is challenging. If it were, um, if it were simple and straightforward, they wouldn't. They wouldn't need. They wouldn't need us. Um, so, you know, maybe in ten years' time, this will be a different situation. But right now, it's um, it's not deterministic. It's not objective. There is no like clear clearly right clearly wrong thing from a security perspective but we have to do what we think is right and uh and and be okay with that it's my view indeed i I agree so anyway uh i think that's it for today so thank you everyone thanks for listening once again thanks to our patreon donors you guys are awesome you help cover the cost of our show and believe it or not uh, you know, we we intentionally stay sponsor free, so we don't have anybody editorializing or or forcing us to have guests. So those Patreon folks really helped you cover the costs, and we thank you for that. That's right, that's right. All right, um, if you want to follow uh, Mr. Cal on Twitter, it's uh, at lurg at l e r g, and I'm uh, at malicious link. And with that, we will talk again soon. Have a good week, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.